You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Almighty God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, friends, I take great comfort uh, in what several, not several, but unanimously, what every commentator uh, said about our passage from Luke this morning, and I quote most of them, this is the most difficult parable to interpret, end quote. (laughs) So perhaps that gets me off the hook this morning if I don't satisfy uh, your uh, interpretations, but uh, in all seriousness, it's it's a difficult passage. Uh, As Chris read it, Chris did a wonderful job reading it, You, you could hear just the cognitive dissonance there. Because, of course, we know the law of God. We know we're supposed to be honest. We know we are supposed to uh, be faithful. And we see Jesus seemingly commend a character from a parable who was not righteous, uh, was not faithful, uh, and who was certainly not honest uh, in the way that he did business. So what's going on in this account? By the way, this is chapter 16 of Luke's gospel, which follows kind of one of the greatest hits in Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 15. If you remember chapter 15, last week, I know we had the rally day skit, but the lectionary reading actually uh, was the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep, those two. And so you would think, obviously, the next thing that would follow up is the lost son, uh, the prodigal son, uh, the good father. But this week, we, we skip that portion that's saved for another week in our church year, and we look at the unjust steward, the unjust manager. And so, what's the context from the previous chapter? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees uh, about who is invited into God's kingdom and who God is passionate about. And by the way, it's everyone. God is passionate about all of us. He loves his creation. What we see in those three parables, he's particularly passionate about the ones who are lost, the ones who are wayward, and count me among them, dear Lord. I want to be, not for the sake of being lost, but for the sake of being found. I want to be that lost sheep. I want to be that lost son that you find and redeem. So here in chapter 16, we have a slightly different context. It moves from talking to the tax collectors, or excuse me, the Pharisees, and we move, it says, Jesus said to the disciples. So he has kind of an aside to his disciples. As you read Luke's gospel, um, and this is no surprise, uh, Mark, Matthew, and Luke all have similar structure. Most scholars believe Mark was first. I mean, this is not controversial. And Luke and Matthew uh, take some license in rearranging some of Mark's work in chronology, not in substance, not in theology, but just the timing. And so in Luke's gospel, it's not always clear uh, if a discussion follows the one prior. Sometimes it's almost like cut and paste. But the reason Luke does that is he's not being naughty, he's not being uh, playing fast and loose with the text, or his own memory for that matter, from uh, for eyewitness accounts. But he's trying to make theological points. And so there's a link between chapter 15 and 16 here, where we have these three lost coin, lost sheep, and lost son, where forgiveness is uh, manifold, where forgiveness is never ending. What we just sang, uh, that mercy never ends, I I believe that was one of the the hymns we just sang. And so here we, we shift gears, and he tells another parable, and it's the context is completely different. It's not about someone who's lost, but it's someone who's about to be found out who can relate to this unjust steward? I mean, how many of us have, go back to your college years or your high school years or middle school or further back when you have a deadline and you know it's coming up and you know you're about to get found out that you didn't, you know, you didn't do your work? And again, I'm, 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 I'm the choir here. Preach to me on that. Uh, many times I've missed a deadline or I've done things incorrectly 
And so you can imagine this manager wanting to hide from what he's done. I mean, he's clearly mismanaged what's been given to him. So the rich man finds him out. The rich man who has a manager managing his wealth finds out that uh, the manager's been wasting the possessions. What our, our translation says, wasting. Uh, other translations say squandering. And just so you know, that's the same word from chapter 15 where the prodigal son wasted his inheritance, squandered his inheritance. So Luke is clearly trying to make a link here between uh, the substance of chapter 15 and chapter 16. So the manager's been squandering and wasting uh, the rich man's possessions. And so he's called out. And the manager says, or the rich man says, what is this that I've heard about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. In other words, you're fired. You're done. Hang it up. And so, again, I don't know if any of you have ever been fired or had to hang up something or failed a class like someone up here. Uh, but that's a death of sorts. I mean, you've, you've died. Now, you read this passage further and you see the manager. He's trying to preserve in some ways uh, perhaps his job. But, but I think, moreover, he, he knows his job is done with. And so he's, he's kind of moved on to what's next. So what does he do? He starts going to the debtors on the accounts. And instead of charging what's uh, written in the book, he charges for less half or even a fifth in some cases if you read and so it turns out this is a really good business practice uh, at least for him he gets a little bit from what was before nothing all these debtors were paying nothing and in reducing their debt he actually gets them to pay something it's pretty fascinating so fast forward just a little bit success in all three cases uh, he receives uh, yes a smaller bill but a bill nevertheless nevertheless and so the master, in verse 8, says he's, he's commended. He commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Well, that part's not so difficult. That's in the context of the parable. But where it becomes difficult is where Jesus tells them. He says, and I tell you, in verse 9, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. That's where the text gets really difficult, because Jesus seems to be commending underhanded practices. He seems to be commending uh, unrighteous wealth. And again, I, I don't think I'm going to settle that for you this morning. I think that is a cognitive dissonance that will just sit with us. But we could take it at face value and take this as sort of a moral command to, to be shrewd, to act wisely. And truth be told, I mean, that's, a, that's an important word, but I think every single one of us in whatever field or practice or discipline we're in, we want to do well. We want to be successful. We, we, we have our training. We have all of our credentials. We want to do well. And so, again, at face value, just from a secular standpoint, uh, being shrewd is not, not something that's uncommon. We want to be shrewd. We want to do well. But if that's all this parable is doing, I mean, to me, it falls flat. It falls flat, and it certainly is not good news. So where's the scandal in all this? Where's the, the difficulty? Well, Jesus is upholding this um, really kind of a bad guy as the good guy, as someone to be held up as an example. But what I mentioned to you just a few moments, I think is sort of an interpretive key. Parables, again, Jesus rarely, and only in one case, which is in Mark's gospel, rarely um, tells us what the parables mean. In fact, if you read Mark's gospel, he says he told them parables to confuse them. He told them parables that in hearing it, they wouldn't understand. And so I think our task is to hear it and hear it over and over again, not assured that we fully understand it, but it's a, it's a playground, if you will, where we can kind of play around and hear uh, Jesus' word in a new way. Parables do that. Stories do that. It allows us to kind of enter in. 
And so that word I mentioned just a moment ago, death, I think death becomes sort of the, the hinge of this whole thing. And so the manager has died, not a physical death, but he's lost his job. And for those of you who've been in that situation, you know it's, it's a death. I mean, something about you dies and cannot be prolonged. And so he's raised up to a new life. He's raised up to a, a new way. And perhaps he's trying to just make a way for himself, but maybe he's been moved to forgive debts. And so he goes and he does what he's not authorized to do. The rich man did not say, okay, you're, you're at license to do this. He is a rogue. He goes out on his own uh, to do this. And so in forgiving them their debts, not in, in total, but in part, it actually moves the ball forward. They actually pay a little bit. And so all things being equal, the rich man, I think, is thankful for this, that at least he has a little bit of money in his pocket. It's not all a wash. Uh, some commentators did mention that uh, it was a common practice, of course, usury, uh, to apply interest. And so there was a debt, and this, was, this is outlawed, by the way, in the Old Testament, uh, but often these managers would uh, apply little fees and taxes and uh, interest rates that was unlawful, but they would do it anyways. And so it seems that he's completely let that go. He's not profiting from it. This is all going back to the rich man. And so what, why does it inspire the rich man? I mean, the rich man is the boss. It's rare that from the ground up the boss is moved, and yet the boss is moved. The boss commends him. The master commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Uh, and I don't know if he reinstated his job, but it looks like he's at least on his good side again. You see, it's death and resurrection that makes life possible, life on the other end of our death possible. And so I know this is scandalous, but as you read this parable, uh, the Christ figure actually is the dishonest manager. Now bear with me. I know that's, that's, that's a hot take. But it's Jesus whose death who dies. He dies our death. He, he dies his own death, but it's our death that he dies. And in rising to new life, being raised up, he extends new life to others. And unlike the unjust steward, he doesn't forgive half the debt or a fifth of the debt. He forgives us all our debts. And in that, we are raised up to new life. In that, we are raised up to have a life in God's kingdom now and forever. And so Jesus is likening himself, uh, read between the lines, if you will, likening himself to the unjust steward. Now, why do I say that? Uh, of course, we read the Old Testament and the New. We know God has a law. We know God has expectations. We know the boss has rules. And if we're going strictly by the rules, we know both the people of Israel and you and me. We just simply don't keep the law, do we? Maybe here and there we think we do. Maybe we're on a good, you know, on a good trend, on a good track, but eventually it all falls off. And if we're being honest, I'm hopefully being honest this morning. It's not group therapy, but I'm being honest and saying, yeah, I'm more like the unjust steward and, and more likely hiding behind my sins and keeping uh, false accounts when it comes to me. But when it comes to others, I'm willing to lash out and to get, you know, get mine. This happened to me recently. We were uh, eating out at a restaurant and just had terrible service. I mean, just awful at a really well-renowned restaurant. I won't name the name, uh, but just absolutely terrible. I mean, the, the, the server was forgetting orders and routinely skipping over us. I mean, what should have been like an hour, hour 15 dinner was like two and a half hours. And I'm Mr. Passive. You know, I don't say anything, but over and over again, I mean, the server's passing by. And finally, I, I remind her, I say, hey, we really love the check. We really love the check. And so the check comes, and I see the total, and everything's right. And it comes to that moment, and I say, do I punish her with my tip? You know, do I take back, you know, I usually start around 20%. Do I go down to 15? Do I go down to 10? I wanted to give her zero. 
I mean, if I'm being honest, I wanted to take money from her. <laughs> you owe me money. <laughs> and yet, I know that I've received much mercy. I've received much in this life. Uh, and out of duty, perhaps, uh, and I'm not holding myself up to he- be the hero. I'm certainly not. Uh, but I gave her yeah, a generous tip. I won't say the number, but I gave her a generous tip. And I didn't hang around to see what her reaction would be, but I can only imagine she knew. And I knew she knew because she put the check down and walked away embarrassingly. So I know she knows that we were upset, even though we didn't say anything. And yet, I'm sure when she returned to her check and saw um, the tip, and again, I'm not the hero, she was grateful. Mercy had been given to her. And this is true for you and for me. We were, we, not only do we not deserve a tip, we deserve to pay back all that we've taken. Uh, that's our punishment. And yet Jesus uh, not only just tips us, he foots the whole bill and gives us all the more in himself. And so all of this is scandalous. I mean, I don't want to call you out, but I'm sure there's a few accountants in here, bookkeepers, uh, lawyers perhaps, people, all of us at heart. I'm a lawyer. I mean, I like to keep the letter of the law when it applies to others. And we know, yeah, <laughs> I'm really good at finding the speck in your eye, but I completely missed the plank in mine. But my point is, there's a part in us that says, this is awful. Why would God allow such a thing? Why would God hold this parable up as a good thing? Well, this is the good news, that we've been forgiven our debts. Despite ourselves, we've been forgiven. And so it is scandalous. And Jesus, who, uh, at least from the Pharisees' perspective, he broke the Sabbath, you know, he healed people on days he wasn't supposed to. He dined with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. I mean, he did all the things that uh, the religious uh, intelligentsia would say was criminal and ultimately dies a criminal's death. And so if you're worried about respectability, if you're worried about Jesus being uh, likened as a criminal, uh, just read the rest of the gospel. That's his whole story. Now, of course, he's not underhanded. He's not unrighteous, but he is taking the place of the criminal. He's taking the place of the bad guy so that you and I might be drawn in to receive God's mercy. And so respectability is out the window. If you come this morning looking for a respectable Jesus, you've come to the wrong place. Jesus uh, gets in the ditch with the sinners, and he hangs on the cross with the criminals. And he's mocked and abused and beaten as one who deserved it, although he didn't. As the Bible tells us, he who knew no sin became sin for us. So respectability is out the window. The only grace we have is the grace of losing and death. That's the only grace that there is. And it's extended to you and to me this morning. And it's the scandal of the cross that's littered all throughout this. Of course, it's not uh, explicitly written, but this is the cross. Uh, An undeserving death upon someone, and then you and I undeservedly receiving life and forgiveness and peace and hope. As St. Augustine said, the cross is the devil's mousetrap. Jesus uh, doesn't do the things that you and I have thought he should have done. He does it differently. As uh, Waylon Jennings says, or saying, I don't think Hank would have done it this way. And yet, so Jesus, uh, in the words of Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. He's holding up a new paradigm for what it means not only to be human, but to be human in relation with God. We expect God to hammer down. We expect God to uh, take the bill from us and to uh, not tip us. But expectations are subverted, and the gospel turns everything on its head. And so this morning, you and I, who deserve nothing, we receive everything in him. And that same uh, mousetrap for the devil is the trap that catches you and me. And 
I'll be honest, us crooks and criminals, uh, we can only recognize it when we see it on the cross. If he had not died that kind of death, we wouldn't have seen it. I used to live in Gramercy Park, Manhattan, total redneck in the middle of Manhattan. And I'm walking around seeing just the most powerful people in the world, and I'm inspired by them, and I love seeing them, but I know I'll never be them. I know I'll never become that. And so Jesus uh, doesn't come as the Tom Brady's of the world. Uh, He doesn't come as the Jimmy Fallon's. These are just people who lived on my block. Uh, He comes as uh, this lowly carpenter who dies a criminal's death to draw in us crooks and criminals, to receive God's grace and God's mercy. So you're caught this morning. You're caught. You're found out. The cross is uh, your mousetrap as well. But thanks be to God, it doesn't stop right there. The death of a sinner God does not desire. And in his death, he's raised us up to new life. So that maybe, just maybe, we would know his peace, not just now, uh, but in life eternal. And in doing so, it becomes infectious. And we here at the Advent and in Birmingham and in this world, uh, we sing God's praises and his mercy and his forgiveness, doling it out freely, not keeping an account. All records are shattered. Thanks be to God. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.